Pixel Therapy is a member of the But Why Though Podcast Network. Go to butwhythopodcast.com for an inclusive geek community offering pop culture news, reviews, and podcasts. I have, there are two kinds of fan mail that I adore the most. One is I figured out my gender <laughs> through playing Thirsty uh, Sword Lesbians, or like hey. it helped me as I've been figuring out my gender. That's amazing. I love that. Um, and then the other is, you know, I got a girlfriend through Thirsty Sword Yeah, results not guaranteed, but <laughs> it's one of my favorite kinds of fan mail. Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player, where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. Every other week, we bring on a guest who may or may not consider themselves a gamer to discuss the games that have made them and changed them and all the feelings they have about our favorite pastime. I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronouns she, her. And I'm your co-host, Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy. Let's kick things off as we always do with our Patreon shout outs. This is our special thank you to everyone who subscribed at our Patreon name in the credits tier. And today we're shouting out everyone who supported us in the month of May. So that's a very big thank you to Val, Genevieve, Lindsay, Jackie, Ben, Pimatai, and Adiyinka. Remember, if you want to get your name in the credits, you can hop on over to patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod, where you can subscribe for as little as just $2 a month and get access to our monthly bonus series, Co-op Mode. We just released our episode for June, uh, where we talked about our top casting choices for the recently announced God of War and Horizon Zero Dawn series adaptations. So if you want to hear our hot takes Mm -hmm. uh, on who should play all of the roles in those (laughs) wonderful video game adaptations, uh, go go, uh, throw throw us the $2 and... Producers, our inboxes are open. Yes, very open. (laughs) Wide open. (laughs) Uh, Also, if you're a fan of what we do here on Pixel Therapy, please consider sharing us with your friends and family, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, uh, or even you could write into the show by emailing us at pixeltherapypod at gmail.com. Pixeltherapypod at gmail.com. That's there for you producers as well. That's that email address you can hit us up at. Uh, We'd love to hear from all of you and also you producers. All right, Spencer, it's time to get cozy. (laughs) Pull up an armchair. Feel free to lie down on the couch. And let's talk about our feelings. How are you doing today? It's a hot one, Jamie. It's a hot one. Yes. We can, we're on Zoom and I I can see the sweat shining on both of our faces, giving (laughs) us that youthful glow. Oh, well, maybe I'm just nervous because I've got the, we got the nice central air running today. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's one of those days. I mean, probably me having an old house as well. Mm. It's like, we've got window units going and it's just not quite enough to yeah. fully edge out that heat. The mug, the mug <laughs> yeah. is what gets me. I, I woke up this morning at 9am, took the dogs outside and just stepped out into the thickness of it. And I was uh. like, oh no, not doing this today. Thanks, doing outdoor this. sauna. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, <laughs> man, that, yeah. It, it's, yeah, the mugginess is really what gets me. I just mm-hmm. don't like when the air feels so thick. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty gross. Gross it's, stuff. You're just swimming, swimming through life, it feels like sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'm good. I, um, oh, I have a fun thing to share. My, my cousin recently got into medical school. Oh, congrats. congrats. Proud of you. That's so exciting. And 
I had an extra PS5 laying around. Just oh, just an extra one. Hair flip, casual. <laughs> just this whole just thing. Sitting <laughs> here collecting dust. <laughs> so it makes you sound like Found I it have under the bed. Disposable PS5 income. It was just, uh, I guess, a perk of my of my new job. So I just had one and a new one to to give away. And as it were, I just, my cousin and I had been texting over the past few weeks. Um, and he was kind of like, how did you go to PS5? And I was like, my friend Jamie. And he was like, <laughs> well, do you think you could, <laughs> Cause like, I don't know anything about tracking releases of things or even when things happen. I, re- I rely entirely on Jamie for that. But um, I was telling him about how we used Wario 64 to find good deals. And um, he was saying, like, asking me for advice on if he should sell his PS4 and get mm-hmm. and save up for PS5. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I should just, he deserves it. He's been working his butt off um, for the past several years. Yeah, I can only point. imagine. So I boxed it up and sent it to him in the mail. Um, I It was funny because I said, there's something coming for you tomorrow. And when he got the package, she was like, oh my God, I thought it was going to be a wedding invitation. Um, which is funny. <laughs> I don't know if I mentioned this in the public episode yet, but I, I got engaged to my... <laughs> boyfriend i'm really excited um but it literally just happened like a week ago and i was like oh my god i guess um it's good that you see me as someone who can pull together a huge event that quickly but no (laughs) i have done nothing to plan um but he opened the ps5 he texted me that he was crying he was so happy um and that very night um he and his girlfriend were already playing the new final fantasy remake and just like living it up. Um, That's awesome. So I was really happy about that. Just spreading the love um, of the PS5. Um, but yeah, it's been a great weather for sitting inside and gaming. What about you, Jamie? How are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, not to talk about the elephant in the room, but we had that uh, that whole little pesky thing of, you know, Roe v. Wade getting shot down yeah. on Friday. So that, that pretty much fucking sucks. Um, yeah. I've been doing a lot of dissociating uh, with uh, with some Netflix binges and just uh, same. Yeah, I, I'm like the a prairie dog or a meerkat. I keep popping my head up, mm-hmm. looking, scrolling, doing a social media scroll and being like, nope, Instant I'm not ready and, and yeah. going back down into my hole. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at with that stuff right now. And and I uh, applaud everyone who's. um yeah, just uh, everyone who's getting through this however they can. I know mm. there's plenty of people who are taking direct action already right now and jumping out there protesting and stuff and uh godspeed. Uh but also if you're not doing that, it's okay too. Um it's going to be a long haul. So Absolutely. we've got to all take care of ourselves and each other as best we can. I don't know. I don't have any happy words about any of that right now. Um and then yeah. on top of that, uh my partner got COVID this week, so oh my gosh. we've been fully isolating from each other so that I don't get it. And it seems like I've, you know, knock on all of the wood, it seems like I've avoided it. Um, but he was pretty sick. That's sucked. So mm. I don't know, you know, I feel like we flew too close to the sun, right? Mm. If you listen to our Patreon episodes, you'll know that last week, Spencer and I were both really riding a high. Yeah, we were, <laughs> we were really riding a high. We're like, oh my God, it's been such a great week. This never happens. Like we always come into our Patreon episodes and we're like, life is hard and I'm yeah. sad. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then, you know, like, like Icarus. 
Mm. I went too close, got my wings a little singed and had to come crashing down to the reality. It's just God <laughs> keeping us hot and relatable by giving us some hardship. And humble. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So anyway, so we're back. We're back at it. You know, at least there's video games. Yeah. At least what we have each other. And, and we have each other. And yeah, we all have a lot of uh, each other's. And we, yeah, community, right? Yeah. Hug the people closest to you, take care of them. So mm-hmm. uh, sometimes that's all we can do, but it's it it can and has to be enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, what what video games are you playing right now, Spencer? <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to to null the pain. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! So I don't know how I avoided it for this long. Well, I'll tell you why. I think I have some sort of innate rejection of spending more than like $30 on a game for the Nintendo Switch because Mm. I just feel like, especially with the next gen consoles we have now, there's some part of me that's like, really Nintendo? Like, do I really need to be paying $59 to $69.99 to play Mario Kart on my tiny tablet that has the same CPU processing power as like a calculator? Like, really? (laughs) So, (laughs) that being said, um, there's this game that came out in July of 2019, but I didn't get it until almost July of 2022, and that is Fire Emblem Three Houses um, from Intelligent Systems and Koei Temco, Tecmo for the Nintendo Switch, um, published by Nintendo, of course. Um, this game actually won two Game Awards um, for Best Sim or Strategy Game, as well as the Player's Voice Award. Um, and I mean, anyone I talk to who's into JRPGs has been talking it up for the past couple of years. Um, I've just been avoiding it because that price tag was really kind of high for me. And I also mm. just didn't know. I think what I know of Fire Emblem is mostly the strategy part. I knew it was kind of turn-based battles Um set up on this grid and it's kind of like a combination of um chess for people like me who aren't super into chess and the satisfaction of like carrying out turn-based battles um and having your team work together and i really was just in a place where i was looking for something more i wanted to sink into something spend dozens if not more hours um and so i finally got around to downloading it I also recently was having a chat with someone who um, was just really loved this game and was going on and on about all of the things you could do in it. Um, what's cool about this game is you play a professor who is, uh, basically you're a mercenary. The game opens where you're a young mercenary traveling around with your dad and like just, you, do. you know, doing odd jobs and training to be an unstoppable warrior. And um <laughs> These kids are in a bit of trouble and you Mm. help them out, save them from some bandits. And you notice that the three, there's three kids they are all wearing different colored sashes and they tell you that they're students of this legendary uh, warrior academy that's housed inside a giant church. Um, And they're like, Hey, you should come teach at our school. And it's basically like Hogwarts, but more (laughs) anime and hopefully less transphobic. <laughs> um, and the game is really cool because it's um, it honestly reminds me a lot of Persona Five or and the Persona series in general, which I yeah. was not expecting. I was I've been kicking myself all week that I've been playing this game because it's it's giving so much. Um, and what 
what it kind of breaks down into is you're a professor at the school, you have a calendar, your time is split between teaching classes, um, walking around the campus, hanging out, building your relationships with the students and fellow faculty, and then also leading your students out into battle. Um, you're teaching them to be professional warriors in, I guess, this like holy army. I'm not far enough in the <laughs> game to like fully understand the political ramifications of everything that's going mm-hmm. on. Um, but you're part of this very devout society that worships this goddess. And so you're all training in your devotion to her and to spreading the word of her church and protecting the church from those who would seek to destroy it. Um then you actually get to choose which of the three houses you as the professor want to align yourself with, and you become incredibly close with the students who are under your care. Um, this is something, um, what's the word, emblematic, I guess, of the Fire Emblem games is that um, at the very beginning, you can choose whether you want to play classic mode or casual mode. And in classic mode, if one of your students falls in battle, that's it. They're, yeah. they're dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're gone. Um, they're not coming Dunzo. back. <laughs> they're donezo, as they say in the biz. Um, and I immediately picked casual because yeah. I was like, <laughs> okay, listen, there's been enough death and violence in my life right now. I don't want to watch all my kids die. Yeah. Oh, um, my God. I think especially because I'm their teacher and I'm the one leading them. I just mm-hmm. couldn't stomach um, the idea of playing classic mode. So in casual mode, yeah. if someone is felled in battle, they're simply, you know, knocked out. They say something like, oh no, I've pushed it too hard. I guess I'll I'll take a break. And mm-hmm. then everything's fine yeah, <laughs> at the yeah. end of the day. Um, they just, you know, pass out. <laughs> yeah, they pass out and <laughs> they fade away and then you yeah. find they meet up with you later for a nice <laughs> beer. <laughs> um, so I think I've just been blown away by the depth of this Mm -hmm. game like there's in terms of the activities you can do on your off time there's fishing (laughs) there's cooking with students Mm -hmm. you can share meals you can go garden in the greenhouse you can take on little side quests where you're helping people with various little social favors um there's even things like as you're walking around the castle you may find lost items that someone dropped, like a button or like a wallet. And if you find the person who it belongs to, you get a little moment with them and uh, you increase your relationship with them. They have tea parties. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Love like the tea parties. It goes on and on. And it matters like what tea you pick yeah, like, yes. and, and what you choose to talk about like yes. helps get you more relationship or like, yeah, not even just romantic, but just relationship points with the character that you're sitting down to tea with. I don't, yeah. yeah. It's also like, so it's not it's definitely commented on that you, as this new professor, are the youngest professor ever to join the school and very like close in still to the students themselves. <laughs> right. Of course, there's an inherent power dynamic. Yeah. Like me as a normal person, I do not condone teacher-student <laughs> relations. Me yeah. as the average JRPG enjoyer <laughs> is very intrigued by the fact that I had tea with the basically 
head boy of my class and he totally had his elbows on the table <laughs> chin resting in his folded hands and gave me a wink as I handed him a glass of tea and I'm just like okay is this horny am I what so it's interesting um something I appreciated at the beginning of the game is you know, in typical RPG fashion, they say, like, who are you? And you say whether you're a boy or a girl. Um, this game doesn't ask, are you male or female? Are you a boy or a girl? It just shows you um, two people, one with short hair and one with and a squarer jaw and one with long hair and big eyes. And is like, which of these forms feels right to you? And mm. I was like, oh, I appreciate the use of forms here. It's like kind of like non-binary representation. <laughs> yeah. So like canonically, we can say Byleth, the main character of the game who you play as. I mean, I'm down to say that they're a non-binary icon. Um, <laughs> but, you know, gender doesn't really play uh, a part in how the story is going to go. I have heard, I haven't gotten anywhere close to the romance um, romance scenes yet. But it sounds like there are different, um, slightly different options available, whether you pick the more masculine or more feminine coded mm -hmm. form, um, which honestly I appreciate because it reminded me of the conversation we were having with Vanit about, yeah. um, you know, player sexuality, where, where when every character is available to you to romance, then it kind of defeats the purpose of having queerness in your game because mm. it's acting like the only difference between a queer character and a straight character is like one dialogue option. And there's nothing's really speaking yeah. specifically to the queer experience. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of like interested in that to see if my gaydar actually matches reality. Um, but uh, I know you played this game too, Jamie, as I was going to ask, like, as I'm talking about it, is it bringing up any fond reminiscence for you? Yeah, it is actually a lot. So I, I played this game much closer to you when it came out. I can't remember now if I played it. So it came out summer of 2019, and I know I didn't play it right away. I think I played it fall 2019, but it also mm. might have been very early in 2020. Um, so a bit before we started the podcast and the world fell apart. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who am I kidding? The world was always falling apart, but <laughs> we had a very clarifying moment in yeah. 2020. <laughs> it really picked up. The yeah. doomsday clock really sped up there. Yeah. It's like, um, so I, I did not finish the game. I believe I got about halfway through. I think other things just came out and I got kind of distracted. I, I tried to come back to it a couple of different times, but I think a game like this is JRPGs, long JRPGs like this. It, when you fall out, it can be really hard to get mm. back back on the bike because yeah. there's just there's a lot going on there's the deep relationships with characters there's so much uh you know the item management and mm. the level you know especially in this game you're really you have a lot of characters to choose from to put on the field or at least that was the point i was at in the game i had a large roster to pick from and that always kind of stresses me out in these strategy games because yeah. i don't think me personally, I don't I, I don't have the strategy mind to really be able to see like, OK, if I have this character and this character, they're going to interact in this mm -hmm. way and it's going to give me this benefit. Like that's 
hard for me to see. So what I end up doing is pulling out a lot of, you know, doing a lot of internet research and then yeah. I can get a little too far. I, I, this was a spreadsheet game for me. I remember yeah. I had a Google spreadsheet that had multiple tabs. I was oh tracking relationship things. I was tracking people's stats. The leveling up system for the characters is kind of complicated where you're like, in, oh, and you have to take them to class too. Have you started yeah, doing this you, yet? You lecture them in class. Yeah. You can take them to seminars. <laughs> you can That's have a them lot. take tests. Yeah, it's a lot. And the thing is like actually in the game, like I think especially playing it on casual, the game is not so difficult that yeah. you have to maximize all of that to be able to have a good time. True. But something about playing this game whenever I did, I my sick brain like got very interested in trying to maximize and it became too much. Like I would turn the game on to play and I would spend, you know, maybe I'm playing for two hours. I'm spending an hour of that pouring over my spreadsheets, trying to figure <laughs> out what decision I need to make here and there to do X, Y, Z. And it, 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 it was too much. It's a lot like teaching in real life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, I was really, yeah, it was, I went too far down the rabbit hole on this. But you talking about it, I'm like, oh, I really did enjoy this game. The battles got a little long, too, yeah. and tedious um, it, for just how much I was investing. But I really mm-hmm. liked all the out-of-battle stuff. Um, I think, yeah, I think they're cool games and you yeah. talking about it is making me like, fuck, should I play? Should I go back to I it? You can always but, play a different house and start uh, over. Yeah, I could play a different house. I could start over. And I think if I were to go back to it, I'd need to leave the spreadsheets at the door and mm. just try to enjoy the game. But yeah, yeah, that, that was hard for me before. And, and I kind of ruined it for myself. But what I did play, I, I really liked, I forgot about the whole calendar thing. And and just the way the game really structures your days. But as you're saying, I was like, oh, fuck, right. There's this and this. And, and it, there was that whole other thing. It's like in my mind, when I think about it, I just remember spreadsheets and the boring battles. Right. <laughs> like I'm like, oh, fuck, yeah, there was a lot in that game that I really liked. And the story seemed like it was going somewhere interesting. Anyway, I'm really excited you're playing it. Uh, I hope you see the end of it. I can live vicariously through you. Yeah, like I think I... I can absolutely see it stressing me out. In fact, when I when I first started, when I first booted up the game in the first battles, I was letting myself get overwhelmed by like, what do all these items mean? What are all these commands? What there's so many people on the battlefield that I'm responsible for. And I just sort of started being like, look, you're playing it on normal. I'm sure they're not gonna, you know kill you in the first battle if you don't execute everything exactly right. And so I try to just give in to the experience of slowly wrapping my head around it all. And um, I absolutely relate to what you're saying. And I think for me, focusing on the relationships and the story and not letting myself worry too much about like, oh, am I equally training everyone? Am I like, should I be actively trying to recruit more students to my house? And just like worrying about that later, if it ever becomes something I want to worry about, I think Mm -hmm. has helped me enjoy the experience of the game a bit more. I will say someone who sort of starts to feel like in some JRPG settings, like that the relationship building just becomes a matter of who you pick to have a particular cutscene with. And it just doesn't feel very authentic. I love the huge, varied choices of like, how do you want to build rapport with someone? Do you want to share meals with them? Do you want to take them um out do you want to invite them for tea do you want to train with them do you want to work one-on-one tutoring with them like it's just like it feels so much more rich and real and so i'm just really enjoying um yeah that aspect and and the caretaking like actually being a professor and having people looking up to you it's a bit different than anything that i've played before so i'm really having a great time (laughs) that's awesome 
Very happy yeah. for you. Um, on a completely different note, what are you playing? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not as different as you might think because, uh, you know, you're playing a, a potentially horny game with a bunch of teenagers in it. And I also played a somewhat horny game oh with a bunch of teenagers in it. Nice. Uh, I played the Quarry, which <sighs> just came to uh, PC, PlayStation, and Xbox uh, earlier in June. And it's made by Supermassive Games. These are the folks who did Until Dawn and they do the Dark Pictures Anthology. They're specifically known for this type of game, which the quarry is like one of it's it's in the same vein as a lot of their other work, which is that it's an interactive drama survival horror game has these like choose your own adventure elements mm. where you're making decisions that impact the overall arc of the story. And they make um, games that are incredibly detailed and cinematic, uh, high level, high degree of detail in the human uh, character animations and presentation. So this is a game where I think, you know, if it was playing, I think actually you came to our house the night that I started the game. And as you like, you came into the house and you were like, what are you playing? Or like, you were like, is that a game? And I was like, yeah. And you're like, oh my gosh, we thought it was a movie as we were like coming up the driveway because it looks so so detailed and the characters look so real. They do, they tend to cast uh, folks who, actors who are already well known in Hollywood or who have some Hollywood presence um, and have them play, actually play the characters. So using the actors to make the character models. And it is, it's more like a movie in the sense that it's like, it, so, for example, in the court, it's like Justice Smith is very clearly playing this character who is a mm. camp counselor. And that is obvious. Like you, the character looks like Justice Smith. It's Justice Smith playing them. He's not doing like a different voice or anything like that. It's they're casting people to be themselves as the actor in the in the game. So yeah. the game has uh, just some of the names that I was familiar with coming into it, although I think. All of almost all of the main characters are played by people who folks probably have some familiarity mm. with. But the folks that stood out to me, we've got Justice Smith plays one of the main characters. Brenda Song, who's like oh. pretty famous from Disney Channel stuff. Yeah. Um, Sweet Life is Zachy Cody. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Uh, Ariel Winter from Modern Family. She oh. plays the middle sister uh-huh. for folks that watch that. David Arquette. Um, oh. from Scream, among other things, nice. and Ted Raimi, who is Sam Raimi's brother and who oh. I specifically know of like having bit roles in the original Spider-Man uh, trilogy. Cool. Uh, or just just to name a few. Um, so the quarry, the premise of the quarry is that um, you are playing as a group of, I believe they're supposed to be like late teens. They're They're kind of Some of them are on the cusp of going to college. So Mm -hmm. mostly predominantly high school aged kids um, who have been camp counselors at this summer camp called Hackett's Quarry all summer. And it's the last day of camp. They were supposed to be leaving, but through a series of events, they end up getting stuck at the camp Uh for one more night. And they're there without the campers and without supervision. And so they're doing what young teenagers like to do when they don't have adults or responsibilities. They're having a party. Drugs. Like drugs, hard drugs. Like <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> They're just having a party. There's some beer. Um, okay. and there's a lot of emotion in the air. Uh-oh. You know, it's the last night they're gonna Uh-oh. get to be together. There's some folks who are in a summer fling who are mm. trying to like have one last night together. There's other characters who have spent the whole summer crushing on another counselor but haven't had the guts to tell them. And so there's all of you know, the interpersonal drama <laughs> is it. afoot. Um but little known to them that in the woods there's danger <gasps> lurking. Dun dun. Uh-oh. 
So ultimately, this is a, a horror game. I'm doing air quotes uh, for <laughs> everyone listening who can't see me right now. <laughs> doing air quotes. I'd say it's a very, it's all set up to be a very traditional slasher fic. I think if you're familiar with stuff like Friday the 13th or Halloween, like it's got a lot of those elements going into it. Mm-hmm. I think I'll talk about this a little more, but I think it subverts a lot of that stuff in a cool mm-hmm. way. Um, but ultimately, that's the pitch and premise is that. This is a slasher flick. You're going to watch all of these teenage kids like maybe make stupid decisions and and potentially die or try to survive the night, right? And I don't want to get into like what the uh what the threat is in this cuz I think it yeah. it's kind of spoilery, but there's monsters in the woods is like the nice. the pitch or like what we discover pretty early and then where things go from there I think is pretty cool. Um the in terms of the actual gameplay and what you're actually doing in the game, so it kind of has two different modes that you might interact with. So there's scenes that will play out where you're primarily just making dialogue decisions. It's always a binary choice. Um, and it, well, not just dialogue, it could be action based, right? So you're making an action or dialogue decision that's binary. You can say this, or you can say this, or you can do this, or you can do that. And when you, you know, you make the choice and then the rest of the scene plays out, uh, It also, the way the game plays is that your perspective shifts between the different counselors. So Mm. there's like six or eight counselors. And throughout the course of the game, you will have scenes that you play from their perspective. So it's not, um, you're not omniscient uh, in that, like in one scene, you might be making decisions for multiple counselors. That doesn't happen within a scene. You're always tied to the perspective of one specific counselor. So it's almost like, uh, you know, a book where the chapters are have different narrators mm-hmm. or different focus, right? So, I, you know, in one chapter, I might be making decisions as Justice Smith's character. And then in the next scene, I might be making decisions as Brenda Song's character. And those might be, they might be within the same thing that's happening, but there's been mm-hmm. some sort of a cut in between and we've come back to it. And now I'm playing from this other perspective. So that's kind of cool. It makes it so that you don't feel particularly tied to just one specific person and you're invested in all of the characters uh, that the game presents. Nice. Um, as you make decisions, the game will give you, uh, this is, I think I'm familiar with this from telltale games and their adventure game style, but I know other games have done this. They'll give you a little, uh, text-based indicators on the screen of like the potential impact of a decision. So I might make a decision. It might come up and say, Caitlin is losing respect for you or Dylan's a little disappointed. And that kind of gives you some insight into how characters are feeling. But honestly, you don't even really need that insight in most cases because the facial animations are so (laughs) well done. Yeah. And actually the, the acting in this game, I think is one of the strong, the acting and writing in this game, I think are definitely it's strong suits the performances of the actors coming through, it's they're really good and the characters are really well written. The game spends a lot of time letting you invest in these characters. I think some reviewers have kind of argued that maybe it's too much time, that the game has mm. a bit of pacing issues because it does take a couple hours of gameplay to even get into the horror elements. You spend mm. a lot of time at the beginning getting to know these people and they initially present them as kind of like stereotypes, but very quickly subvert that and like show us a bit more. They kind of get deeper and all of the characters, like I think one thing the game does really well is there was no, well, not no, there was one character that was like, you just generally kind of suck and I don't care if you die. But with a cast of eight, I think it was main characters. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Like, <laughs> that's pretty good. The rest of the characters and like, even though they're 
some of them were types of folks that I wouldn't usually want to spend time with or hang out with. Like I still cared about whether or not they lived or died and they felt like real rounded individuals. And I think a lot of that speaks to the way they're written and presented and the performances behind them. So I think the game does a really good job there. Is it spoilery to ask like, does it feel possible to save everyone or is it inevitable that like everyone's going to die? It is possible to save everyone. <gasps> oh. It's also possible to kill everyone. Uh-oh. So you can, you can do either. <laughs> everyone, <laughs> everyone has the option and that's, that's the power that the game puts in your hands in that sense is that like you are, the decisions you are making are going to determine whether or not people uh, live or die during the evening. You're not going to necessarily make decisions that are dramatically changing the course of the narrative, mm. but it does change the fate of the characters. So in that that sense, it's choose your own adventure. Essentially, what happens is still going to be what happens, but whether you're determining who's going to live to see the end of the mm. night, basically, through the choices <sighs> that you're making. Um, so just wrapping up on gameplay, the other the other ways that you interact with the game, aside from just the decision making, is that there are some uh, quick time events that you interact with a character might be running from a monster in the mm. woods and you'll get little quick time event prompts that come up that will determine if the character stumbles or uh. ducks under a branch or something like that. I would say that the, uh, for anyone who's not a fan of QTEs, these are really uh, like baby's first QTE. They're all done with just movements of the analog stick. So it's Uh-oh. just move the stick in the indicated direction. The timing winding- window on them is quite forgiving and okay. they're pretty minimal. I would say throughout the game. So I think um, kind of as a counter to this, uh, another de- developer who makes games like Supermassive, that I would say like Quantic Dream, I think they're really known for having very intense QTEs. Um, that's like, oh, I didn't, you know, because those also include the face buttons and they can just be very stressful. I never mm. felt that level of stress around the QTE events in the game. And the final way that you interact with the game is... Uh, through they'll put your character in scenes that are kind of like it's like an exploration scene so you'll be in a specific area they'll give you full control of the movement of the character you'll get like Mm. a third person perspective and you'll get to move the character through an environment sometimes that's like a campsite or the main cabin or maybe it's a you know the shop that's there on the campgrounds that kind of stuff so it's a contained space and while you're walking around you can find clues and evidence that help fill in extra details about what's going on in the story or you can find uh there's a collectible in the game that's these tarot cards Mm. um that will kind of like give you hints about what might happen next in the story so okay cool give you all that um so I alluded to the story kind of subverting some horror tropes before I want to talk a little bit more about this. I think you know at the end of the day this story's not I don't think this is doing anything groundbreaking. This is a pretty traditional slasher flick kind of narrative. Um, And I think like if anything, what's impressive about it is how likable they make all the characters, because I do think it's really typically in slasher flicks like this, you wouldn't like the characters. You might like one Mm. person, right? The like final girl or whatever might be the person you're rooting for. And everybody else is like an asshole and you kind of want them to die. And (laughs) I personally didn't want these characters to die. I wanted to try to save them. Um, But the other thing the game does is that it, it actually kind of has a, 
I don't know if I would go so far to say is there's no villains in the game, hmm. but it does a really good job of explaining the perspective of the villains. Hmm. And so like you understand everyone's motivations. Yeah. I think pretty well through the game. There's nobody in the game that's presented as just pure evil and irredeemable. Cool. If that makes sense. Yeah. So I think that's rare for a slasher flick like this. It's not just a mindless monster. Um, we understand why things are happening and to whatever degree that we agree with or don't agree with the positions involved, like you at least get it. Um, the other thing it does is that there's, you know, despite everyone kind of being a little horny and there being a lot of interpersonal drama, there wasn't any sex in the game, like some lewd comments here and there, like allusions to characters maybe having had sex, but there's nothing that's like, it wasn't even like, oh, they're going to have sex now, so the camera's going to fade away. Like, right. and, and like, I've played through the whole game twice, so maybe I just didn't make the right decisions to unlock something, but I'm pretty sure there's no sex scenes in the game, not playable or unplayable. I don't, like, sex doesn't seem to be in the game. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was kind of interesting. As I was uh, reading a bit about the game, I actually came across this interesting quote from the creative director on the team, whose name is hilariously to me anyway, Will Byers, which if you're a Stranger Things fan, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is a character from Stranger Things. But anyway, nice. uh, in an interview with Game Informer, uh, Byers said, the quarry doesn't engage in transgression punishment. Uh, while he admits there are nods to the past, the game doesn't have a clearly defined, doesn't have clearly defined rules like the movie's like traditional horror films. Mm. Uh, Byers said, we're very clear about not putting our morality into anything. Any Mm. of the choices you get are your choices. We offer them to you without judgment or without any, if you choose this, you win. If you choose this, you die. That's not the way it works. That's not in our interest to do that. So I think what's a really common trope in a slasher film like this is, oh, the kids go have sex and then they're punished. Right. Uh, you know, it's like a not very subtle, <laughs> like morality thing that mm-hmm. like, oh, they did that. And now they're going to be punished for that. And they really they don't engage with that at all in this game, which I thought was cool that you actually yeah. like all the characters are presented as complex. Like, you know, they have flaws, but that doesn't necessarily define them. And and the choices that you make aren't morality based. It's just like, did you do something stupid? <laughs> yeah. OK, well. You got killed. You didn't. You didn't hide in the right place. You didn't manage to get the right weapon. So you're going to end up dead. And it's not just like, oh, you had sex or you're queer and whatever, and now you're going to end up dead. Cool. So, um, final couple things I'll say about the game. It's not really very scary, or at least I didn't think it was. And I think Mm -hmm. some of that is how much time they spend, like getting you invested in the characters and and understanding the world and the enemies and all of that. Like because everything feels like you understand it. They're like, even though you're unraveling a mystery somewhat throughout it, like it's not, I don't know. It just didn't feel very scary to me personally. I'm sure some people will still find elements of the game scary. I I don't have, I don't play horror games. I can't tolerate horror games. At no point in this game was I like, oh no, I can't play this scene because mm. I'm afraid to go in X, Y, Z. The way they give you control and the moments that you give the, they give you control in feel contained and a lot of the more horror elements tend to play out in something that you're not directly controlling. And so for me, that works personally. Um, The game's also super funny. Uh, (laughs) I laughed out loud multiple times. There were a couple of characters that I just like everything they said. I was like, Oh my God, you're really fucking funny. Uh, I think that that tone worked for me. I've seen reviews where people felt like it wasn't, 
I don't know, realistic enough or like Mm -hmm. people wouldn't be cracking wise while going through these traumatic events. But I don't know, as someone who enjoys and participates in gallows humor myself and also like doesn't need this to be hyper realistic. (laughs) Right. I kind of appreciated (laughs) that it didn't take itself too seriously. It's got to be a little campy. and Yeah. it, It tends more towards campiness as opposed to like, oh, these characters are really going through some shit. Right. Yeah. I don't know. So I liked it. I thought it was funny. If I have any complaints uh, about the quarry, it's really just that it is a game that wants you to replay it, Mm. uh, both in terms of like the trophy list and just the fact that like you can keep characters alive or kill them off or help characters like end up together or help them not. So there's a lot of room in there to impact the story. So it does seem like it would want you to replay it. And yet, the game puts up a lot of barriers to actually having an enjoyable time doing a replay. The biggest one being mm. that when you replay the game, you can't skip uh, non-playable scenes Oy. or dialogue. You can't fast forward through anything like that. Um, really bizarre choice. Yeah. The the game, like one playthrough is like seven to 10 hours Oy. at minimum. I in my first playthrough, I was like kind of exploring everywhere I could. And I think it took me closer to 12 hours. I'm just a slower player. My second playthrough was closer to seven hours, but it's just like even going through that at top speed, that's a seven or so hour investment. And the trophy list is like to to get the platinum trophy, you would probably have to play through the better part of the game. Like, five times oh, or more that's that's just kind of mine like okay yeah. if that's really how you want people to have to do this that's fine like i would be interested in seeing every aspect of this game but good lord give me an easier way to like jump back into a scene or skip dialogue or or any of that the other bonkers decision they make is that co- the collectibles like there's trophies for getting all the collectibles First of all, the collectibles cannot all be gotten in one playthrough Mm -hmm. because you don't see every path. Um, But more annoyingly, you have to get all of one type of collectible in one playthrough to have it count. So it's not like if you've ever found a thing, there's some ticker that like remembers that you found that and you'll get a trophy for having found it. It like if you want to get the trophy for finding all the evidence you have to find all the evidence in one playthrough. And then you have uh, to do a different playthrough to find all of the tarot cards. What? Kind of fucking stupid. That's not how things should work. <laughs> and, right? Like in the year of our Lord 2022, yeah, I've got to replay a fucking video game to go get a collectible. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I don't know. These are small complaints ultimately, yeah. I think. But I don't know. I do think the game wants you to want to replay it. And I just wish that they kind of made that a little easier to do, like without having yeah. to sink so much time. And it's a very cinematic game. Like, there's a lot of moments where you're not directly engaging with it. I don't, I, I, this, even on the second playthrough, there were times where I was like, okay, this scene again, <laughs> picking up my cell phone, like yeah. scrolling Twitter while I wait to get control back of the characters. Like, it's fun once, it's kind of fun twice. Let me just skip it. Like, let me just skip this stuff, except, you know, unless it's yeah. new, unless it's something I haven't seen, but like, yeah, they're I like, listen, we spent all this time to painstakingly <laughs> render all of these beautiful actors on screen. Yeah. You're gonna watch it, yeah, yeah, kind of <laughs> hold, holding me hostage here for my platinum trophy. But God, anyway, so did the you cor- platinum it? 
No, no. I did the two playthroughs. I did my first playthrough where I very much uh, accidentally, I was trying to keep everyone alive, killed almost everyone (laughs) in a hilarious fashion. Um, And so then I did a second playthrough where um, I did use a guide because I wanted to just see how it plays out if everyone stays alive. Um, And that was cool. Saw how that ended. And then like looked through the rest of the platinum requirements and was like, fucking hell, I don't want to do this seven more times. Like, yeah. I'm not ready to spend, you know, 70 hours on the quarry. Uh, I like it, but I don't know if I like it that much. So, yeah, Where? I don't know. Maybe in a few years, I'll come back. Um, the game does have a cool system that I haven't engaged with personally, but it does have a thing called movie mode where you can just watch it mm. as a movie um, and it will take out the interactive stuff. Oh. Um and when you do movie mode, you can actually like preset how you want characters to behave. So you could like say, oh, I want this character to generally be like really shrewd and like make good decisions. And I want this character to be a buffoon and like do silly stuff and, and end up getting killed. So you can like preset that mm, those kind of like character cool. basics in the menu and then just hit play and just watch it go. If you just want to see how things play out. I wonder how long. (laughs) Well, yeah, I wonder how much that condenses the game if you do that. Does it actually make it movie length? I feel like it would still be a bit long, bit long. It's kind of cool, though. Yeah, it's it's interesting, interesting feature. So, well, it sounds like a marked improvement from I forget the name of the one we played with Rami Malek and Co. It was (laughs) until dawn. Until dawn. That was the first in this like series, right? Uh, I think that's the first one that Supermassive did like this. Yeah, and they're not. Yeah, they're kind of distinct from so there's you know until dawn and then the dark pictures anthology is specifically like those are all shorter games they're each just like a few hours and it's those are part of like in a series together and then this is another full-length game that's separate but they're all of a theme okay i just remember that game being a little falling a little flat in the writing department and Mm. um I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm remembering it more critically than it was when we actually played it. But it sounds like this one just really, in every way, uh, has stepped it up. Uh, yeah, I think for me personally, I prefer the Quarry Two until Dawn. I think the it just feels like they have a better hold on what they're trying to do with it. Um, and I don't want to overblow like this game is not I don't think this is going to win writing awards. It still <laughs> is like a campy horror film. And there's still like little weird uncanny valley stuff that happens by having such detailed renditions of the actors like someone's mouth won't move quite right or they'll take like a weird pause Okay. <laughs> like, because yeah. like it's processing the dialogue or whatever. <laughs> like So there's weird little things like that that make you laugh when it's not meant to be funny. But I just think overall this uh is telling a better story with better characters than until Dawn did. And maybe if, yeah, yeah, I don't know. So ultimately this works better for me as someone who invests more in story and characters. Like I liked it better. I've heard some people say that they felt like until Dawn was maybe a better game Mm. um, because it was, there was less cinematic and more interactive cutscenes and more opportunities to influence the direction of the overall story. And more of a mystery to pull at, but uh, you know, I think to each to each their own. And uh, I haven't played the Dark Pictures anthology games, but I'm really interested to check them out. I just, I, I just think this is a cool thing to exist, and I don't know that it's uh, especially groundbreaking, but 
I like that there's a company making games like this and they're, they've really like made this their brand. So I think if it sounds appealing at all to kind of have this like fun, campy 10, it's, you know, short as far as games are concerned, 10 to 12 hours is like a relatively short experience. And yeah, yeah, that's cool. It's a good time. All right, let's go ahead and move over to our interview. Today, we're chatting with April Kit Walsh. By day, she's a civil liberties impact litigation attorney for the Electronic Frontier Foundation. But by night, April is tabletop RPG game designer, gay spaceship games, responsible for the Nebula award-winning Thirsty Sword Lesbians, a role-playing game for telling queer stories with friends full of angsty disaster lesbians, flirting, sword fighting, and of course, zingers. <laughs> we spoke with April at length about how and the how and the why of Thirsty Sword Lesbians, uh, reflecting on the game's success, the response from the audience, and why swords don't always have to be literal, but they do have to be dramatic. During our conversation, April shared a ton of insight into how her intentions for player experience directly shape her game design, and it was just really engaging to hear her talk about. So without further ado, here's our interview with April Kit Walsh. Hello to our wonderful guests, and thank you so much for joining us in the virtual Pixel Therapy Studio. To start, can you share your name and your pronouns? Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is April Kit Walsh, and my pronouns are she, her, or gay, gem. Amazing. And April, how do you spend your time? How do I spend my time? Well, um, when I'm not working my day job, which is a civil liberties impact litigation attorney, I design games, and I play games, and I um, pet my cats, who are here with us as we're doing our recordings. Um, Yeah, I do a lot of writing for fun with people. Um, And relevant to this podcast, I do play video games. Amazing. We love to hear that. Uh, I think I am on the the tabletop role-playing side of the gamer spectrum. And, uh, you know, you mentioned being an attorney, um, and for folks who may not be familiar, you work with the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Can you tell us a bit more about your work uh, and what you do with the EFF? Yeah, so EFF is a member-funded nonprofit civil liberties organization that works to ensure that new technology enhances people's rights rather than diminishing them. So we are deeply involved in both corporate and government abuses of power that are connected to high technology. So we have lawyers, technologists, and um, grassroots organizers as part of the organization so that we can speak to sort of all of those theories of change and bring all of those types of expertise to the table. My particular niches are um, things like net neutrality, making sure that the companies that own your internet connection aren't able to control whether you're able to um, visit certain sites or not, or what quality those sites will have, because that would steer mm-hmm. us towards a more corporate commercial internet and interfere with organizing. I do work with artificial intelligence and um, particularly systems that have a discriminatory impact on marginalized people. Uh, there are a lot of racist algorithms being used in the criminal punishment system, which just compounds the other issues with criminal punishment in the United States. And Mm -hmm. I do um, a lot of work also in free culture and um, ensuring that copyright isn't used 
in an overly broad way to suppress the kinds of people who are able to tell stories and participate in making meaning in shared culture. Um, for instance, protecting the Internet Archive in a litigation where the publishers mm -hmm. want to shut down their digital lending library. So um, those are sort of representative of the kinds of things that I do. I have also been involved in um, protecting the right to do security research and otherwise sort of look under the hood of technology so that you can expose if it's violating your privacy or you can tinker with it so that it serves your values instead of just being an agent of the manufacturer. I don't, I don't mm. want a television in my living room with a camera trained on me that A, has shoddy security, as many of them do, and B, will only let me install the apps that are profitable for the company that made the television. Um, so it's that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. No big deal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one of the scariest things that I've read in the past couple of years was just the fact that uh, anyone who has a Google Home or Amazon Alexa, um, there's like your voice data is being stored by Amazon somewhere. And there have been times where um, someone accidentally has heard the uh, personal information or just someone else talking on an, another Alexa completely unconnected to theirs because the security hasn't always been super tight. And it's like, that opens up so much. I have so many dystopian spirals where I'm like, you know, if someone has my voice, it's so much easier for them to steal my identity or make it sound like I said or did something that I didn't do. Or now with the sort of emulators and deep faking that we see out here, like someone could make you say something that you never would have said, but they have that that data. Um, so, you know, <laughs> oh, glad you're doing the work out here, April. <laughs> absolutely. There are a lot of there are a lot of ways that that things can go wrong. Um, shows like Black Mirror. I never watched Black Mirror because I'm like, this is my day job. Like keeping this from happening. <laughs> I'm, already, I'm already doing this. I'm glad you're like raising awareness about this, but I can't do it. Um, it's too real. But, yeah. yeah, it's really important that you know our technology be something that um, we can use to enhance our our own sort of freedoms and advance our values. Because if it's all hard coded and locked down to just do what the manufacturer wants, that's that's always just going to reinforce sort of their exploitation and extracting value from people. And, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes sometimes something happens not because, you know, they're maliciously doing something, but they just don't care. It's not profitable to support edge cases, which usually includes marginalized people, especially people with disabilities. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's where having both the sort of the the interest and the knowledge and the ability to mod these devices to support communities that aren't sort of necessarily the target market or don't have enough money to be worth marketing to or designing mm. for um or just you know other social blind spots prevent prevent these companies like silicon valley companies that aren't very diverse from you know designing successfully for for people um Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think, you know, as we talk, modding is going to be a theme that we touch on, especially, you know, in the context of video games. Yes. Can't wait to get to that. Um, this is this is something that brings me comfort. I'm going to share with everyone a tweet that I saw the other day, and it was talking about how 
humans lived as hunter-gatherers and in caves for 30,000 generations, like an, an incredibly long amount of time. By comparison, the amount of time that we've decided to adopt capitalism is only 300 generations. So with that, we can give ourselves the solace that this too will be a passing uh, system that that humans of the future will look back and shake their heads in shame and be like, what the hell? Um, at least that's what, that's the future that I'm <laughs> dreaming of. I don't think 300 generations. 300 generations. generations. They had oh, capitalism then 300 generations ago. Shorter. <laughs> <laughs> we'll fact check that and edit it in an update. <laughs> um, so April, you mentioned playing games, playing video games, as well as um, tabletop games. Mm -hmm. Do you identify as a gamer? I think when I use the gamer label for myself, I am thinking in terms of um, tabletop role-playing games. I don't yeah. um, think that I am part of video game gamer culture. Um, and in terms of the term, like, I would probably refer to myself as a game designer, right, in, in TTRPG mm. space. Um, I don't know that gamer is used as much, but for me, like, I verb games, right? Like I play games, I make games, I read games, <laughs> I, I do I do verbs to games. Um, so so yeah, it's not it's not a term that I like gravitate towards or away from. Um, but yeah, I do a bunch of verbs with games. Yeah, and what's your personal history with video games or just gaming in general? Yeah, so um, I. When did I? I think I first was introduced to video games because my father would play Air Warrior on America Online. So, like, this was, you know, not that far removed from the people living in caves that, uh, you, <laughs> um, and you couldn't have a name, right? You had a handle, which was a four digit number, right? So, like, proudly oh, playing wow. as 4727. Um, you know, my father. Uh, was part of like the very first online guild, the Damned Air Group, mm. and they like later went into like other games like Warcraft, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but I remember mm. like sitting and watching the the pixels on his whatever like Apple II. I don't know what machine he was using to play <laughs> it, but um, in our cave around the campfire, we would gather and he would play Air Warrior. Um, <laughs> so I had like an exposure to it from a very from a very young age and like old, old games like load runner or whatever. I had like the Nintendo, the original Nintendo. Um, so yeah, I, um, I played video games sort of, you know, from, from as far as I could remember. Um, and I think like the thing that changed my relationship with video games was in middle school, I found that a bunch of configuration files for this real-time strategy game I was playing called Dark Rain were just plain text configuration files, right? So I could go in and mod the game. I could tell mm. it, like, no, use this other graphic for that and, like, make a custom unit and, like, give it different stats and whatever. Um, and, wow. you know, before that point, I had never been a computer programmer, right? Like, that's computer programming in a, in a rudimentary way. And so just sort of like being curious about the game led to um, interacting it with it in a new way, right? Like it wasn't, it was designed for mm -hmm. you to play it as designed, but you could also play with it in a, in a different way, um, 
because because it was it was designed in a way that made it very easy to do that. Um, so I think then I played a bunch more um, sort of story oriented games, and for those, it's especially important to me to to have access to mods. I haven't authored a lot of mods, but I've definitely used them, particularly you know in in the like classic Bioware type RPGs. <laughs> Um, you need mods to make it gay or, you know, not just <laughs> right. trivially gay um, or, or even just, you know, then like, so I enjoy this for a while. And then eventually I'm like, this gameplay is boring, right? Like I'm interested in this story um, and, you know, get the mod that lets me basically skip grinding the combats and stuff. Mm. Cool. So, um, so my engagement with video games has largely been along those lines. Like I've played, I used to play Counter-Strike, right? Like, I've played the first-person shooter multiplayer things that, like, seem to me to claim the gamer label more than other gamers do. Um, but that's sort of not the core of my uh, my experience with it. I was never really deeply into MMOs. Um, though I do like a, a online co-op or a local co-op game. Um, mm. you know, had a lot of fun with just, like, getting getting some friends on the couch with some controllers and um oh yeah yeah you, you, i mean aside from the pandemic that's something that's fun to do you know even today we'd love to get together and do that and you mentioned too that you're a game designer like where did that um interest and passion come from how did it develop yeah so i've been playing role play games from a very young age in second grade on the school bus i ran a um licensed star wars rpg and we had like a little shoebox that we rolled six-sided nice. dice in uh, i remember i i ran it we had a wookie a jedi and an r2 droid and it sounds like the punchline to like a joke um <laughs> but it, it's just the the party um and so I was always running a game, um, you know, growing up and through college and, and even after. And um, I guess my first RPG designs were in high school, right? So I, I took, um, you know, one of them was, was just sort of like a repaint of D&D um, that was Redwall flavored, like the the books about the oh, mice nice. and the yeah yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we love one, anthropomorphized mice, <laughs> right? The other one was this gnarly um, like D one hundred system. I feel like like every designer like who comes out of trad games starts with a percentile dice system, and it had like random character development, which is something mm. that like I'm still sort of interested in thinking like what's the game that that fits into correctly. It wasn't this one. Um, but like I drew some cool aliens and spaceships and, you know, made, made a game that you could theoretically play, um, with some like weird concepts in it. So I think like that was just sort of, um, you know, experimenting a lot of, um, the, the sort of crunchy traditional games like Dungeons and Dragons leave a lot of the design work to the, um, the dungeon master, right. Or the game master, 
And um, so that can be as simple as just, you know, designing an encounter that's going to be narratively satisfying, right? Like there are interesting objectives. You're not just like lining up and like wailing on each other. Mm. There's like a variety of monsters, etc. cetera. Um, so like that's, that's a little miniature exercise in game design that people do anytime they prep a session that's not sort of out of a book. Um, but then what particularly got me interested in um like writing writing a whole new system was um wanting to tell positive queer stories um that had like an action romance flavor to them so i will often describe this as that scene in the princess bride where wesley and inigo are dueling on top of the cliffs and they're commenting on each other's swordplay. They're flirting with each other. Inigo presses yeah. against the crumbling rocks, and then they kiss. That's the <laughs> that's the feeling that uh, I wanted out of my RPGs, right? And I want it out of out of my media. Um, sometimes you can find mm-hmm. it in fanfic. Like there are a few things that get close, but um, but it's not something that that I saw or got to experience. But I knew people were excited about it, and so. Um, Basically, I decided to write it, right? I decided to write the game that I was going to be excited about. And it took like years, right? Like I I my day job is pretty demanding and there would be like mm. months when I didn't make any progress on Thirsty Sword Lesbians, but um, you know, eventually event well, eventually um I was going to be a guest at a convention. Um because of my thirsty sword lesbian design, I thought, well, I should really release something if I'm going to be like a, 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 a like Kickstarter stretch goal guest at this <laughs> convention. Like, I get, I should make something public, right? And so I did that, and like people were excited about it on itch, and then uh, the publisher Evil Hat um, signed up to publish it, and then you know months or a year later, we did the whole Kickstarter thing, and um, and you know this game that was very personal, right? That I thought. You know, I'm writing the game that I'm really excited about. I've negotiated with my publisher, so like they're not going to dilute any of the queerness, right? Like they, they get it, yeah. and um, and that was that was all positive experience with them. But like they don't have that expertise or literacy, right? So, um, so instead of just like me and a few other weirdos on the internet. It's like thousands of people are excited about this game and are playing this game and are doing fan art and running actual plays. And, um, that's super exciting. And I, uh, I've kept, you know, designing for it there. We had, um, you know, one expansion already. We've got another one in the works. And, um, I think it, I think it struck a chord telling stories that, are about um, celebrating queer love and power um, as opposed to only sort of, you know, talking about the struggle, like the real world hardships, like those are all real and you can include them in the world of thirsty sword lesbians, but like it's a game where you are action romance protagonists. And so if you want to, you know, thumb your nose at the, the, the <laughs> patriarchy and their enforcers, you get to do that. Um, and uh that i think i think that resonated i think you know there were some pretty well-known queer-ish games that were focused on uh like teenager 
player characters. Um, and so I think being able to play as like adults, people who are, you know, not teenagers is also appealing. Um, mm-hmm. and one of the, one of the scenarios is basically like a bunch of 30 year old magical girls who back in college fought against this threat. And now they thought it was done. They've all gone their separate way. Mm-hmm. And now it returns and like all their old like history and, and they drifted apart and they find the magic, like, um, you know, right. That, that expression exactly. Right. Like it's not just like fluffy candy, right? Like there's drama and crunch there. And that's a big part of the fun for me as well. And you can play it like goofy, campy, fluffy. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. But, um, you know, the archetypes are all written with an emotional conflict in mind, right? So if you're the trickster, Mm. you really want to be close to people, but you're too afraid to let yourself be vulnerable. Um, And so you're you're hiding your feelings. You have a mechanic called too many feelings. And it turns out (laughs) four feelings is too many feelings. Once you hit four, (laughs) (laughs) and you just bottle it up. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I wanted a game that was that was very um, drama forward in terms of how you think about who your character is, right? So you're thinking about like the psychology of your character, the arc of your character's growth, um, and you're not just thinking like I have a good armor class and I can like withstand getting hit, right? Like absolutely. Um, and there are a lot of games in the indie RPG space that are doing really cool things with sort of narrative focused design, right? So like whole movements, uh, of story games, um, and like fate and apocalypse world were big influences. Um, but it's, a, it, it evolved quite a, quite a bit and, um, sort of the, yeah. the community came up with some tools so that I could see like. I could see how to make what I wanted to exist exist because sort of the the tech was there in terms of the um, community's innovation of RPG mechanics and um, philosophies. Mm-hmm. It's funny, like you know, you just you described your early gaming memories as being around interacting with a game in a new way or changing something about it to shift your relationship with it. You talked about um, modding Bioshock to focus it more on the story elements. And I feel like with this game, um, it's it just feels like there's this, this heart, this heartfelt through line through your work that's about, you know, taking action, adventure, tropes that we commonly associate, especially in in worlds of gaming with like stats and weapons and armor and sort of turning that on its head and making it about the relationships and the intimacy that can be found between characters. Um, I just feel like the way you talk about your relationship to gaming, that just feels like something that's, that's always been at the center of, of like your relationship with games. Um, I don't know, like what themes and through lines do you, do you feel like, um, encapsulate your work um so i think at the broadest level there's this element of um a sort of community of innovation improving on um a, a a baseline and using 
uh, coming up with better stories than you know you would get from like a a, a corporate video game release. Um, mm. And like TTRPGs are incredibly collaborative, right? So so I will set up some of the narrative framework and a bunch of you know, archetypes that you can use. Um, and you relationship questions so you can figure out you know who took you on a date but you didn't realize it was a date because you're an <laughs> lesbian right um and sort of set up all of that drama and then the way it evolves is totally the product of that particular group of people telling a story together right like inhabiting characters or running the world and uh so sort of facilitating people's ability to tell those stories, I think is a through line of a bunch of my work. You know, if I were making mods, then that would be, that would, that would fit that as well. But you know, making TTRPGs as well as, um, you know, fighting for the legal space for people to be able to, um, participate in culture, right. Say, you know, I'm going to make, uh, you know, I'm going to make fan art. I'm going to make a fan work of this like big media thing. I'm going to make them gay. And, you know, Disney's <laughs> lawyers can't stop me. Right. <laughs> um, so, so those sort of, you know, both sort of giving people the practical tools to do it, but also, you know, when people are already doing it, making sure that, um, they're not going to get bullied out of being able to, to do that. So I think those are big through lines. And um, Thirsty Sword Lesbians is offered under an open license so people can hack it, make their own games, make their own playbook. So, yeah, I mean, basically from from the core book, right, like we brought in five contributing authors who all, you know, represent other experiences of queerness um, because like I don't want to claim to represent all of queerness or, you know, even give you a tool set that can do that. Um, and, uh, then we had, you know, dozens more, um, as stretch goals for the Kickstarter who are now, you know, in print in the second book. Um, but it's very much about helping people tell stories that are meaningful to them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I was, I was really feeling it when you were Talk, describing that um, scene in The Princess Bride and the, the energy between um, Wesley and Inigo and the the energy of like, are we flirting? Are we fighting? There's swords. There's kind of this magical element. Um, it, and it, so much of that feeling, I feel like, is captured for me. Like when I think about where I get the most of that, it's in like anime or mm-hmm. manga or these uh, other forms of art where everything is elevated and you're able to really create this aesthetic of heavy, heavy emotion. Um, And I love the fact that you're able to translate that into like a real life space where um, people can create that together. Um, Why do the gays love swords and high fantasy so much? Like what is it about that that just hits? That's a really good question. Uh, I just, I just participate. I'm not sure I can explain it. (laughs) The first two lesbians, it has high fantasy, it has sci-fi, it's sort of like, it's, for a while I was thinking of calling it Slash Fic the RPG, uh, because <laughs> nice. it, you can, it's a lens that you can put onto media and change the way you understand it and interact with it and liberate that media from the norms of Hollywood so that Wesley and Neo can kiss. 
but um i think there's a lot of um you know interest in defending the community uh is that a trans march where um we're carrying shields that trans dykes are good and pure yeah. and um you know they <laughs> they do um pride bats and um like color honor guard the the sort of spinning mm. of the batons and and so yeah. on um so i think there there's there's that element of like wanting to be in a position where you can protect but also i think um you know a sword fight is just really good um like hearts thumping you're close you can talk to each other right um mm. it's it's sort of a very uh intense experience already and so it winds up working as a metaphor for um you know other other kinds of conflict where you're sort of you know spilling your guts or um yeah. or or trying trying not to uh you know they really shouldn't but they might and <laughs> um so the swords the swords don't have to be literal um but the that experience of like the close sword fight and um those like rivals to lovers or you know other other situations are just fun it's not you know like a guide to real world change right like you shouldn't go like seduce people who are passing (laughs) anti-trans legislation right like that's not what the game it's not (laughs) here's how you make change in the world right it's more (laughs) like you know here are you know queers who are all like flawed characters right like embodying the disaster queer trope like and you get to play with them, you get to be them, you get to be flawed, um, you get mm. to you know fall for villains and you know maybe redeem them, maybe not, and um, mm. it's just you know a recipe for a lot of drama along the way. So it's just and it's, there's some, there's like a campiness to it. There can be um, that's also just very queer culture, um, over the top, mm-hmm. dramatic, right? Like add a sword to a situation, it's more dramatic. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. And April, you mentioned that um, the Thirsty Sword Lesbians, the game, was originally funded on Kickstarter, um, where the response was overwhelmingly supportive. Uh, I'm just curious, like, as a creator... Did this surprise you at all? And um, how would you sort of describe the Thirsty Sword Lesbians fandom? Yeah, I I was surprised. Um, you know, I was confident that we would fund enough to do a print run and get some awesome queer art. And, you know, getting art was one of my priorities for, like, commercializing the project in the first place. Like, that's why it's not just a free Google Doc. Although, you know, the licenses are all, um, you know, under an open license, you can play for free, but I wanted to get a bunch of cool queer art. Um, <laughs> but the, the community response really was overwhelming. And, um, I had start, started to get a feel for it from the itch version that I had. So itch, itch.io, the, um, the distribution platform, I had a very basic version of it that 140 people ish supported before. Mm. I signed the deal with Evil Hat, and then we were going to do a Kickstarter, right? So I stopped sales on there. Um, 
but it was sort of that enthusiasm that attracted the publisher, right? And then we were all confident that it would fund, but um, I think everyone underestimated how well it would do. All the stores like, sold out before release day, right? So like, I went wow. to my local store, like, it's release day. I want to see my game on the shelves. Like, we sold yeah. all of them. I'm like, that's good wow. and bad news, right? Like, I'm, <laughs> I'll come back in a week, order more. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was it was it was wonderful, and I think the the fandom there are a lot of different people who you know enjoy thirsty sword lesbians but there are two things that have struck me in particular one is that um for a lot of people it is their first rpg or i guess these are both parts of the same point um their first rpg that's not dungeons and dragons um, so basically, you know, it says on the tin what it is and who it's for, right? And if that appeals to you, then you know that can get you over the hurdle of um, you know, not wanting to try a different system or not being sure if RPGs are for you. And um, for me, I actually went back and forth on the title. I told you I almost called it Slash Fic the RPG. There are a bunch of different I yeah, have like yeah. three pages of other titles. But ultimately, wow. um, you know, it says what it is. And if you are a person who is excited about like sapphic action, um, then you go and you look at it and you see the art and you're like, yes, good. That's not this, this isn't like a male gazy, creepy project. Yes. Um, yeah. And then you like open up and you're like, oh, good. It's not like a turfy project. And you like, confirm <laughs> like, yes, this is what I'm looking for. Um, whereas if you're someone who's going to be like obnoxious at a table of sword lesbians, you see the title, feasty sword lesbians, like, and then you go the other way. So like actively repelling assholes is one of my game design priorities. And that starts with the title and, you know, I can't make your table safe, but I can do my best to repel people who are going to be homophobes or misogynists or just otherwise obnoxious. Um, And that, you know, that's part of the magic of the title. Yeah. And speaking of the magic of the title, um, Thirsty Sword Lesbians assures folks that they don't need to be thirsty or into swords or even a lesbian to participate in and enjoy this game. In one of my favorite lines on the Kickstarter, uh, you wrote, the game plays with themes that are common for all sorts of people who are marginalized on the basis of gender and sexuality as well as feelings that go beyond the queer experience. If you want to play Thirsty Swords cishets, we're not going to stop you. Just don't be surprised if the game turns them queer. <laughs> so no. I love that. And I was curious, like, have you gotten any feedback from players of the game slash has it helped awaken anything in anyone? <laughs> Actually, yeah. Um, but that like, I really, you know, I think that's true. And I think that, you know, all it takes is to imagine a space where the oppressive norms about gender and sexuality aren't forceful, right? You know, maybe they exist on the periphery, but, you know, we're, we're going to laugh at them and swirl our cape and, you know, outwit them <laughs> at every turn. Um, and that's all it takes to sort of figure out that a character or you might be queer, right? Because it's a thing that people do on their own and, and it, you know, gets suppressed when you're in a a society or a situation that won't let Mm -hmm. you 
um, you know, be who you are. And so um, I have, there are two kinds of fan mail that I adore the most. One is I figured out my gender <laughs> through playing Thirsty uh-huh. Sword Lesbians, or like hey. it helped me as I've been figuring out my gender. That's amazing. I love that. Um, and then the other is, you know, I got a girlfriend through Thirsty Sword Lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, results not guaranteed. But <laughs> it's one of my favorite kinds of fan mail. <laughs> uh, it's fantastic. I mean, what above all, like, what do you want folks to take away from playing Thirsty Sword Lesbians? I want people to have an experience of an RPG where it's really focused on the characters' relationships and like internal drama. Um, but in a setting embedded in sort of mechanics and settings where it's safe to not be perfect. Um, it's safe to play a completely awkward lesbian, right? Like people are like, oh, I don't know if I could play a swashbuckler. I can't flirt. I'm like, no, I can't flirt either, but you, know, <laughs> you can just be, look at this adorable spooky witch. She just blurts out that she likes snails and like everyone <laughs> loves her. She's adorable. adorable. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, it's telling stories about protagonists who, um, you know, are flawed and uh, in, in make fun, messy drama is uh, the experience that I want people to be able to have. And um, I also want people to get to play with a system where there's no die result that just means, you know, you fail and the story stops. Um, you know, it is actively fun to roll low numbers in Thirsty Sword Lesbians because it, mm-hmm. it means that complications get introduced, setbacks um, arise, your ex pops up out of nowhere. And, you know, these, these are all things that um, move the story forward rather than being like, no, you're not good enough at lifting heavy objects to lift that heavy object. You don't get to it. <laughs> Um, so basically, you know, everything that isn't speaking to relationships and feelings is, is cut out, right? Like some of the guidance is, you know, don't have sword fights with people who aren't interesting, right? There needs to be something, um, you know, appealing about them or, you know, so, so like the outcome of the, of conflict, it has to be interesting to see how your relationship with them evolves or at least how your relationship with, you know, your comrades evolves through that struggle with the other person. Um, and if they're just, you know, if they're just obnoxious and bad and you want nothing to do with them, just, you know, get rid of them and move on. Like find, <laughs> find the thing that's interesting. And it also makes running mysteries a little bit different in thirsty sword lesbians, because it's very focused on, um, the people and sort of what they have to say and what they're after mm. as opposed to like forensic evidence. Um, it wasn't <laughs> like designed to be a mystery game, but as I'm thinking, like, you know, if I'm running one, just focus it on like the people who are involved in their relationships to one another. And that'll be like, that'll be a good time. And if there's like forensic evidence that someone could use, just give it to them, right? Like don't, don't roll mm. to conceal like information that's going to move the plot forward. Just do that. Like the, the, this game isn't about whether you can, track the footprints it's about right yeah. <laughs> it's about um 
you know, whether you're too late to stop the, um, the, the ritual or the, the wedding or whatever is happening, <laughs> like at the end of the trail of footprints. Mm-hmm. And April, are you, what are you working on these days? Are there any follow-ups to Thirsty Sword Lesbians planned or any new games that you're working on? Yeah, I am working on a ton of things. Um, so I'll start with Thirsty Sword Lesbians Falling Deeper. So oh this is the new book that Alexis, Sarah, and I are working on. Alexis is one of the contributing authors to the first book. And it is focused on um, longer-term relationships. So, you know, a lot of the focus on Thirsty Sword Lesbians is that, like, initial phase and, like, the flirts and the, like, is she into me? And, you know, <laughs> um, like, do, do you, like, what, what is this feeling? Is this, you know, like, adversaries on the mm. battlefield or is this something else? And then um, falling deeper helps you delve more into, um, you know, established relationships and um, making the challenges to those fun and dramatic the way that like the playbook arcs are, you know, it's fun and dramatic to have anxiety now because, you know, we're telling a fun story about, you know, about your your trickster and, you know, all of that. So um, that is the Thirsty Sword Lesbians uh, project that is, that is next on the queue. And then, um, I have a cozy space game called I Will Carry You about a sentient spaceship mm-hmm. and Zer crew. So they're all playable characters and the there's not a, a GM role that's sort of distributed among the characters. And um I just wanted I wanted a cozy game. So, you know, that yeah. probably won't be sword fighting in that game, but um you'll be sort of exploring and <clears throat> being a queer found family and the you know idea of the spaceship as a person is something that's appealed to me for a long time. So I you know my imprint is gay spaceship games, and um, I think spaceship is actually a really neat gender that has elements of like home and caretaking and protecting and interdependent mm. and um, and is is fun to explore. So that's one of them. That's and then completely in the opposite direction is. Um, I'm working on a feelings and tactics game called dream with me. So like you will have a map, you will have minis, but you will also have feelings and relationships. And, um, the encounters take place in a dream space. So you have a layer of metaphor to play with. Um, and yeah, that is, I have a stack of prototype abilities here. Um, it is, it's a very different game design exercise, right? Like I, I have to, balance this um numerical several numerical systems that interact with each other i did not have to do a lot of statistics to design thirsty sword lesbians Mm. but my goal is that to play dream with me you don't have to do any harder math than like adding up two six-sided dice right which is actually the same as thirsty sword lesbians um but in order to enable that to feel good requires a lot of um math on the back end so it's been it's been a fun project, um, and I'm at a playtesting stage with that. Um, so yeah, that's a handful of of stuff that I'm working on. Definitely have lots of lots of designs um, that I'm excited about exploring. Fantastic! And where can folks keep up with you and follow your work? Yeah, you can find me at uh, on Twitter 
at Gay Spaceship GMS because games doesn't fit. And um, if you want to hear more about um, what I do professionally uh, as an attorney, then um, at Prillkit. Um, so April Kit, as if the A were <laughs> the at sign, um, is my is my professional work account. And you can check out you can check out um, gayspaceship.com. His uh, links to my itch profile. I have a I have a kind of melancholy queer game called End of the Line about the crew of a sentient vessel on the way to being scrapped, um, which mm. is in the same uh, design vein as For the Queen. It's a storytelling game um, with a lot of prompts, and it's fun. It's fun to see when people figure out it's queer uh, by the prompts. Um, because like spaceship, it's a, like, I am usually very cautious to avoid using any pronouns for the spaceship character and, and see like people use it. And then there's a prompt about like, mm -hmm. why do you use different pronouns than other people for the spaceship? And everyone's like, oh no, we've been saying it <laughs> right. Or sometimes they're not, yeah. Sometimes everyone is using like reasonable pronouns and you get that prompt. You're like, oh no, why did the spaceship come out to me? Am I just an asshole? Mm. What, what, <laughs> like, what does this, what direction do I want to take this? Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah. So, so end of the line is, is on there on the itch page. Sword.gay will take you right to the Thirsty Sword Lesbians um, page. Amazing. April, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's been such a pleasure talking to you, and I personally need to go to my nearest game store and get a copy of Thirsty Sword Lesbians. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thanks for having me, um, and I hope you enjoy it. for today's session of pixel therapy thank you for tuning in and we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own if you want more pixel therapy come check us out at patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod where you can snag that monthly bonus episode for just two dollars a month plus opportunities to get involved with the community and influence the show directly if you're not up for contributing monetarily but you enjoyed this episode you can show your support for free by rating and reviewing us on apple podcasts and following us on twitter and instagram at pixel therapy pod that stuff is just as important, and we appreciate it just as much. Remember that Pixel Therapy is a happy member of the But Why Though Podcast Network, so you can support us by supporting them and heading over to butwhythoughpodcast.com. That's though with the T-H-O. Take a peek at the inclusive geek community they're building around pop culture news, reviews, and kick-ass podcasts like yours truly. And you can keep up with all this stuff and more by visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com. Finally, since we like to put our money and our energy where our mouth is, we end every episode with a recommended side quest. This week, we're talking about Trans Lifeline, which can be found at translifeline.org. Trans Lifeline is a grassroots hotline and microgrant nonprofit organization offering direct emotional and financial support to trans people in crisis for the trans community by the trans community. Trans Lifeline connects trans people to the community support and resources that we need to survive and thrive. To learn more about everything that they do, donate, and even volunteer to be a call answerer yourself, you can visit translifeline.org. Thank you for that side quest, Spencer. That is our show for today. So go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more Pixel, Pixel Therapy. Bye-bye.